0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Well, it's now Friday, and believe it or not, it has really only been three days since Election Day, even though it may feel like three weeks or three months. And as of now, we still don't really have a clear resolution to this election in sight, even though it is starting to come into real focus. This week, this race, this year, if it's taught us anything, it's that anything is possible. And the Twilight Zone aspect of all of it probably hit a fever pitch last night when President Trump addressed the nation and within the first few minutes managed to string together An incredible array of outright lies, creating a picture of America that just isn't true. NPR carried a few minutes of the speech before cutting out to fact-check and address the accusations that Trump made about one-sided mail-in ballots, so-called suppression polls, and some kind of widespread voter fraud for which absolutely no evidence has been introduced. It was bizarre... Listen to. And it was really sad because if you think about it, this was a defeated man saying those things. This was somebody who almost nakedly was admitting that there is no way for him to pull out this election, there is no electoral path for him. It was literally a demonstration of a cornered animal striking out, trying to delay the inevitable. But more than that, what he was saying was also really dangerous, especially when we consider the fact that millions of his supporters likely were listening to that entire address, and many of them will just take it at face value. When we're done with all of this, when there is a new president of the United States, We're going to have to figure out how to solve that problem more than anything else. This idea that we live in two realities where the facts aren't shared, where the understanding of truth isn't shared. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And here to talk with us about the still developing election results and how Trump's latest address fits into the growing divide in America is Philip Bump. He is a national correspondent for the Washington Post, and he's been following all of this really closely. Philip, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you very much. So I am sure you are as tired uh, as any of the rest of us. (laughs) It does seem like this has been months of work and it has only been uh, 72 hours. Uh, You wrote a piece yesterday in which you evaluated Trump's initial claim of victory on election day. Compare that with the message we heard from the president from the press room in the White House last
1: night? There were a lot of similarities, really. So at 2.30 in the morning on Wednesday, so in other words, you know, six, seven hours after the polls closed, uh, President Trump went to the East Room of the White House and basically tried to make the case for how he had won. It was an obviously flawed case uh, predicated on the idea that he had large leads at that moment, leads which were expected and expected to, uh, narrow or vanish because they were entirely dependent upon election day votes uh, and then sure enough over the course of the next 24 to 48 hours they did narrow or vanish as they one just did in Pennsylvania. Uh, so last night he came out and he tried to reiterate the same claim that essentially that there was something uh, suspicious about the fact that he had lost those leads uh, and then just outlining this really really rambling and inconsistent, just like internally inconsistent case for how the vote was stolen from him, which almost doesn't even bear repeating simply because it's it's both outrageous and completely unfounded. Uh, but it, you're right. I mean, it really was a, a desperate act by someone absolutely anxious about whether or not he'll be able to retain power. There are a lot of reasons I think that that's a primary concern of his. Uh, but I think the one bright spot is that it was treated as what it was. It was not treated as the President making a serious allegation about the state of the election. It was instead treated as a guy who know who sees the writing on the wall and hopes no one else does.
0: Yeah. Um, so, aside from the President's speech last night, we do have a process that is taking place and is moving forward. Uh, as you referenced just now, before we went on air, Joe Biden took the lead, quote unquote, in, in Pennsylvania. And I always struggle with the language there because it's not really that he took the lead. He had the lead the entire time based on the votes that are now being counted. And it's I think this is one of the problems we have is the way we talk about these things kind of reinforces uh, this idea that votes are somehow materializing rather than just uh, being counted Uh, but but that certainly does bring us closer to finality now that uh, joe biden is ahead in the counts in all four of the states where uh, the the decision is um, where the decision hangs in the in the balance Uh, talk about that moment and what that brings us to It seems like this opens a different phase of the entire narrative around the election. One side will have to decide how much it wants to press against this finality and the other, I suppose, will start preparing for a new administration.
1: Yeah, I think that's the core question right now is the extent to which let me take a step back. So we have seen over the course of the past four years that there exists this bubble that surrounds President Trump uh, and into which various Conservative media organizations and Republican elected officials uh, dip. Uh, you know there are some who are fully immersed in it, right? That you know, like uh, uh, Paul Gosar from Arizona is like fully immersed in in the in this this bubble of of Trump's. Uh, Trump's family obviously fully immersed in it. Sean Handy fully immersed in it. Fox News sort of overlapping with it. If you think of it like sort of a Venn diagram, a lot of Fox News is, is overlapping <laughs> with that bubble. Uh, we see folks though last night on Sean Handy's program. You had Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham, both senators uh, from Texas and South Carolina, respectively, who appeared and, and appeared to validate Donald Trump's claims. And so they were sort of entering themselves into that bubble. And, and so there's going to be a lot of Republicans who are forced to choose. We've seen over the past four years where they've tried to, a lot of Republicans have sort of tried to stay out of the bubble, but then dip into it when they need to appeal to Trump's base. There's going to be a lot of people who have to choose which side of the, the that divide are you on? Are you in the Trump bubble, which is predicated on uh, a, a, a total disregard for reality, particularly in this moment on this issue, or are you going to actually stand with reality? Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, to some extent, I was, I was going to say that it's a difficult decision that I don't envy them, but it is a result of having spent four years, five years, really playing footsie with the bubble in order to, to appeal to its voters. Yeah. And now, you know, the, the, the bills come due. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Philip Bump, national correspondent for the Washington Post. Uh, We're talking about election 2020 as it continues, as the vote counting continues in at least four states that uh, have the decision for the presidency hanging in the balance. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Uh, Are you somebody who is paying close attention to what's going on? Are you a supporter? of President Trump and let us know how you feel after hearing the last two addresses we've gotten from this president. Uh, What do you feel about what he's saying? What do you feel about the doubt he's casting on the election results in states like Michigan, uh, where he says he won the election on election day and that now the counting of votes uh, that were mostly mail-in ballots and absentee ballots is an effort to steal that win from him. Uh, I would also love to hear, of course, from folks here in the city of Detroit. Uh, There have been a lot of things said on national media in the last few days that disparage us as Americans, disparage the city that we live in, disparage the process that we use to Vote and to count those votes. Uh, what does that What does that say to you about where we stand as Americans? Are you offended by the things that you've heard, by the things that the president himself has said about Michigan uh, and Detroit? Also, give us a sense of what your anticipation is for the next few days or the next few weeks. Uh, where are we headed with all of this? And will we get to a point where? There is some finality that everybody can accept around this election. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the conversation. Before we get to listeners, Philip, I I want to talk with you a little about what's coming, Uh, this idea that uh, that finality will be elusive i think is is going to emerge as the big the big question uh, in this in this election I, I don't think we're going to get a concession speech from president trump that would look anything like what we're normally uh, expecting after an election so then what does happen what 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 happens that that says this is now over and we're moving on and it doesn't really matter whether the president accepts this or not this is this is the way it's going to
1: work well you're you're right that it doesn't really matter whether or not he accepts it in the abstract you know i mean assuming that Patterns hold, which they seem likely to. Joe Biden will be president elect, uh, and there's nothing Donald Trump can do about that. But that doesn't mean that the process will be not painful. Uh, you know, that's really the question: is how painful this is, both in terms of stress, but in terms of literal. You know, we saw last night there was this allegation that people were coming up from Virginia to uh, to attack uh, vote counters in Philadelphia. You know, I mean, I think as it becomes more obvious that. That Joe Biden is likely to be the next president, we may see sharper tensions of that kind, which is obviously disconcerting for a lot of reasons. But, you know, the the I, I would not be surprised. We have seen times in the past when Donald Trump, recognizing that he has lost, has given a sort of concessionese speech in which he says something like, you know, look, I don't agree. And I, you know, I still think that X, Y, and Z and Dems are still cheaters, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to move on and do something else instead. I mean, he he has this sort of style of acknowledging reality, which doesn't really acknowledge reality, but still gets the point across, uh, you know, in the same way that he will say one thing and have his base interpret it one way and have everyone else interpret it the other way. uh, We might see something along those lines. The real question here is, how much of Donald Trump's response to the election results is driven by his concern about the fact that he doesn't have the umbrella of protection from criminal investigation that he has now once he leaves office? Mm. I think that's a very real question, and I think it's a real motivation for him. And if that is what's driving his decision making, it's going to be a rough period because he's going to do everything in his power to fight back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Again, 313 1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and Twitter comments there, and we'll try to work them into the show. Let's start with Judy in Detroit. Judy, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Stephen. Hey. I don't know if... You, well, I'm not really nervous. I'm just anxious to have this all over.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and who knows what this guy's going to do. But my reason for calling is that I think one of the things we don't talk about enough is... The degree to which he is um, his supporters don't have a capacity for critical thinking. I think that's one of the reasons that he gets so many, so much more support from college-educated people. Mm. It's not that they're smarter; it's that they're less ignorant.
0: Mm. Uh, Judy, you know. I- uh, that's a pretty harsh assessment of, of the president's supporters. And and maybe that's maybe that's true. Uh, maybe it's not. I, I, I do think, though, that at bottom, it, it is true that we we have a, a fundamental cleave in this in this country about the way we want to go about f- making decisions and deciding uh, how things how things should be. Um, Philip Bump, I think what Judy is talking about is the critical question going forward, and I guess I would reframe it a little bit. I would say, what is what is it that that a president-elect Joe Biden or a uh, early president Joe Biden could do to show Trump's supporters that, as he says, he wants to be the president of all of? United States and all of the people who voted whether they voted for him or not. It's one thing to say that and and to be earnest in the way that you say it. It's another thing to show it. And and I think we we soon will be talking about what opportunities he has to do that. I you know what Judy is saying that that Trump supporters don't have the capacity for critical thinking is probably not the approach that, uh, that the new president will take or should. But, I think it raises the question what what can he do what what will be at his disposal to kind of bridge this gap or heal this this wound?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple things I'd say. The first is, I actually reached out to the campaign a month or two ago, both campaigns and said, there is this issue. What will your candidate do win or lose to try and bridge it? The answer I got from the Trump campaign was uh, unsurprisingly not uh, terribly convincing. But the one for the Biden campaign wasn't particularly convincing either. It, it was based basically on what we've seen him do in the sense since the election, which is say, I will be president for all Americans. And obviously that's an important step. It is important not to be a president like Trump who says, you know, oh, California is burning down. They need to sweep out their forests, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, there is, you know, or to your point about the things that he said about Detroit broadly and in the specific context of the election. Um, but there are two things, the two sort of countervailing uh, forces, I think, which might pull things in one direction or the other compared to where they were under Barack Obama. The first is that Joe Biden is a white man and that there is, as a result, going to be less of the sort of opposition to him that we saw Hmm. for Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, simply by virtue of the fact that some of the opposition to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton was based on racism and misogyny, right? Hmm. And so Biden won't see that. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't even think that's going to trickle down to Kamala Harris as much as Uh, It could. But then the other countervailing force is how does Fox News treat this? Is Fox News going to try and treat this as a presidency for all Americans or is it going to do a burden all down approach as it did generally during Barack Obama's administration? That, I think, will guide a lot of how Biden is able to uh, uh, serve as president should he, as seems likely, be the next president.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, Judy, really appreciate the call and the thoughts. Let's go to Gloria in Detroit. Gloria, welcome to the show thanks Stephen. i
3: absolutely Mm -hmm. love you you're a jewel
0: oh thank you (laughs) i'm
3: tired of every time something like this comes up that the ball is thrown in the in the democrats court of cleaning up the mess that republicans have made they birthed this monster they've been feeding this monster for decades and now this monster is out of control and now They want to know, what are we going to do? What are they going to do? Where are Republicans and white people of conscience and goodwill going to do to call out their own? Hmm. No other race, no, the other party Democrats are not doing this. They started, they allowed Donald Trump to start this mess when he disrespected the seated black president. They never would have allowed him to talk about and and, and, and question the presidency of a white man. But, but those in power in the private sector and the government snickled and did not talk him down and disavow him. They sat in the background and let it happen, yeah. just like they let all these lies and conspiracy theories foment and get bigger and bigger for their own advantage. Yeah. Everybody knows it, but nobody wants to say it. It is not collectively everybody's problem. It's the hypocrisy of the Republican Party.
0: Good Gloria. They've I, done I, it. I appreciate the, not just the call, but the passion uh, behind, uh, behind your thoughts there. And I think a lot of people feel that frustration, especially today, because of what The president said last night and what the reaction was inside his own party. I don't think it was anywhere near what what you would expect it to be. Philip Bump, talk about what the Republican reaction will have to be at some point if it becomes inevitable that Donald Trump has lost the election and is going to go away. I would imagine that uh, that someone will have to step up and confront this this recalcitrance that he has and. Start talking about what the future of that party and its governing will look
1: like. I think it's fairly safe to assume at this point that what a lot of Republican elected officials are hoping is that it will all just sort of go away. Uh, that they won't have to actually take a stand and that Donald Trump will just sort of acquiesce and or wither away and everyone will sort of move on and he can you know, keep wailing from the second floor of the executive mansion and they can just ignore him. That's what they're, I think a lot of them are hoping hmm. will happen. The challenge is uh, that we have, for example, these two upcoming runoff races in Georgia for the Senate, which is absolutely critical. Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader from Kentucky, is going to be absolutely adamant that Republicans win those two seats. To do that, he needs Donald Trump's voters to turn out. And so the Republicans have to be very cautious at this point about not angering Republican voters because they need them to turn out in Georgia and they need them to contribute to those campaigns in Georgia. Uh, And so I don't think we're likely to see a really harsh repudiation of Donald Trump from that standpoint, simply because they need his voters. But we're also not gonna see a harsh repudiation of Donald Trump because it hasn't happened, right? I mean, there've been scores of times at which Donald Trump, were he a normal president, would have been chastised by members of his own party in very stark terms, that it simply hasn't happened because of that same fear of his base, because of that same fear of the way that he himself would push back. And so there's no reason to think that Republicans are going to do that now, right? You know, I mean, it is – yes, we have an occasional Mitt Romney third party, you know, uh, uh, referring to Donald Trump sort of obliquely in the – you know, by these sort of vague (laughs) concepts of what democracy is all about. Uh, But, you know, that's a very different thing than saying, okay, look, man, it's done. You're done, right? Mm -hmm. Which, uh, you know, we sort of saw uh, Pat Toomey, the Republican senator from Pennsylvania, say something along those lines. You know, part of what's happening that's sort of interesting is elected officials in states where Donald Trump is claiming these terrible things are happening are sort of in a bind because they recognize that's not true. Mm -hmm. And they recognize they need to defend their state. But at the same time, they're worried about bucking Trump, uh, which creates a challenge for them. Uh, But I, I don't think there's any reason to assume that Republicans broadly, particularly before those January runoff elections in Georgia, are going to do anything to try and frustrate Donald Trump. Uh, and are simply hoping that it all works out magically somehow. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, Philip Bump, national correspondent for The Washington Post. Always great to talk with you about these things. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Of course, always my pleasure.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from Congressman Andy Levin, who served as an attorney during the 2000 recounts in Florida. He's going to talk about his re-election to Congress and his take on the lawsuits that have been filed to halt vote counts across the country. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones as well. Beverly and Celine, Destiny in Royal Oak, Preston in Ann Arbor, Peter in Detroit. We'll get to you next. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks very much for joining. We're talking about the aftermath of election 2020. Yesterday, a court of claims judge in Ingham County quickly tossed out President Trump's lawsuit against Michigan's vote counting efforts. The president is trying to challenge these efforts across the country and has made the dubious promise of taking the election results all the way to the Supreme Court in Washington. Something he can't really Determine on his own. Congressman Andy Levin is someone who knows a bit about election law and challenges to vote tallies. He has an extensive background as a lawyer working elections, including in Florida in 2000. He joins me now to talk about these lawsuits, his own reelection, and the surprising Trump coattails across Macomb County in 2020. Congressman, welcome back to Detroit today.
4: Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm sitting in my backyard, and early this morning, the first dark-eyed juncos appeared in uh-huh. my bird feeder, so the world <laughs> oh, is moving that. along. Look at
0: that. It's a nice day out, too. Uh, um, it's kind a- of weird for mid- November, November 6th. November 6th, yeah, there. right. <laughs> <laughs> so first, let me uh, congratulate you on winning a second term to Congress. That first re-election, I feel like, is always a little tenser than than, than others, and once you get past it, things look differently. So uh, so tell me how that feels uh, to get to get sent back for another two years to Congress.
4: Well, it feels great. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to the voters of the 9th District, which uh, includes southeastern Oakland and southern Macomb counties. And I'm just so ready to go to work to try to bring about the changes that they are demanding. So we tackle systemic racism and climate change and inequality and all the health care issues, both the public health issues around COVID-19 and the broader issues around everybody having access to good health care as a human right. So yeah. I'm ready to go.
0: Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about what we saw last night from President Trump and this effort to continue to sow distrust in the vote counting process and really in the democratic system in the country. You worked for a long time as an election lawyer, and as I said in the open, you were in Florida in 2000 during the recount effort there. I, I wonder what you make of what he's saying and whether any of it squares with your experience.
4: Well, I just want to be clear. I am a lawyer, and I, w- I uh, was in South Florida for a <laughs> month of November of 2000, <laughs> but I'm not you know really, an election lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly have a lot of experience uh that uh, dealing with elections and the di- there's just the difference between Florida in two thousand and now uh, couldn't be greater. I mean Florida had a lot of sp- very specific problems with its election uh the famous hanging chads uh, i don't know if you remember, but uh, there, the, the ballots, and I think uh, Palm Beach County, um, confused people, and they many many people literally voted for the wrong person for president. They mm, thought, well, who was it? Pat Robertson? I mean, they they thought they were voting for Al Gore, and they voted for him or whatever. There mm-hmm. were all these problems. People were up in arms. It was with the the distance between the candidates was hundreds of votes, and it was one state here, like for example in Michigan. Uh, Joe Biden won the state by almost 15 times as much as Donald Trump did four years ago. Yeah, it's a lot. There's no substantive allegation of anything. Like if you take Detroit, I'm so proud of our clerk and our mayor and our secretary of state and all the teamwork. The TCF Center, there were scores of Republican observers in there and Democratic observers and independent observers. And there's just no credible allegation that anything went wrong whatsoever. So Trump is a... The ultimate sore loser. And, uh, you know, this week the American people said to him, you're fired. And he's he's going to have a very hard time dealing with it, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, uh,
0: Republican operatives are trying to give the president cover by saying that there are some irregularities and they should be pursued to make sure the process was handled correctly, which I guess is sort of a grade— lower than the the intensity of what the president's saying you know the president's saying there's fraud you do have some republicans saying well there's some things that look like they need inspecting or reviewing and that's what we'd like to do is that a reasonable position even in this in this case i mean what about the process of just making sure that everything was done the right way
4: We always need to make sure everything was done the right way, and um, uh, on this, I'm with Governor Christie, who said, "Stop yelling, um, you know, vague allegations, and show any evidence of it." You know, one of Trump's supporters from Mm -hmm. beginning to end, uh, Governor Chris Christie of uh, New Jersey, the former governor there, and he, uh, you know, he he pretty much admitted that there really is no basis for uh claiming problems with the vote in Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, you know, any of these states that have recently been called or Wisconsin or are you know still being counted. And I think what we're going to see, Stephen, is that um Joe Biden is probably going to win. He may win all four, but he's certainly going to win two. I'm almost sure he's going to win Georgia and Pennsylvania. He'll probably win Arizona and uh, Nevada. Mm -hmm. So he'll have either over 300 electoral college votes or close. And so he will have, this election, he will have won the most popular votes ever, and he will win a decisive electoral college victory. And I just don't, I think the more credible voices in the Republican Party. Who believe in our system of democracy, um, counting every vote accurately and having a peaceful transition of power? I'm, uh, you know, I'm just hopeful that they'll come to the fore and that we'll, you know, move forward as we always have, yeah. as the world's longest running democracy here, mm-hmm. doing, you know, go transferring power from whoever whoever lost to whoever won. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I want to get to uh, some of our callers here. And if you want to join the conversation again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. Let's go to Beverly and Celine. Beverly, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, how are you?
2: Hi, good. I just wanted to say that I served as an election supervisor in Celine. And I find the rhetoric from this president at all is deeply offensive. Mm. The people counting votes are my fellow citizens, neighbors and friends, and to suggest they're cheating is just repugnant. Mm.
0: Uh, You know, Beverly, I'm really glad you called because I I think in some ways this is a voice that gets lost in all of this. When the president says the things that he said about the quote unquote cheating that he thinks is, is taking place, he really is talking about and disparaging Ordinary citizens who, in many cases, just volunteer. This is not even their job. That's exactly
2: what we do. This is no machine. This is no underground machine. This is, you know, the average Joe yeah. that walked in there at 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning and left at 10 p.m.
0: Mm, yeah. because
2: everything was done right.
0: Uh, Beverly, I want to thank you for the work that you did to help Uh, collect uh, and count votes. Uh, But but also, again, I really appreciate you calling and and sharing that experience and and putting a face on what the president is saying uh, is is wrong with our republic when, in fact, I would say it's what is quite right with it. Uh, Let's go to Destiny in Royal Oak. Destiny, welcome to the show. Hi,
5: Stephen. I love your show. Thank you. Um. I just wanted to call and say, um, you know, I was one of the people there at the TCF Center processing ballots, and it really makes me sad and angry to hear the Republican rhetoric, this narrative they're trying to sell us about it being chaotic and not letting Republicans have access. Um, the, the city election employees, our supervisors, they were calm, they were respectful, they were well-informed, well-organized. I was so impressed with the process. Um, you know, we, we acted with integrity from start to finish. I did a 16-hour day on Tuesday and a 20-hour day on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, at, at the time that they were trying to say they were not letting Republicans have access, you could clearly see the place was full of Democrat, Republican, and independent poll challengers and mm. poll watchers. Um at one point there was over 200 Republican poll watchers in there is is what I heard but you know they can they sign in they can they can see that and so you know I'm not hearing that enough on the news and I'm so happy to hear Representative Levin say that yeah. um because I'm not hearing that on the news and um and and people need to know that there right. were there were lots of there were lots of poll challengers in there
4: right. you know Stephen this and is so a- incredible this is American democracy. I mean, you really do a public service here. I mean, Destiny and Beverly are our democracy. And just think of the 9th District, my district. There's, there's 21 jurisdictions, if you, inco- if you include, like, villages and stuff, but some of them are gathered into townships for, you know, vote, voting purposes. So there's 19 jurisdictions that run this process. It's so decentralized. Many of them are controlled by Democratic clerks or whatever, and many of them are controlled by Republican clerks. And there's kind of an esprit de corps and a, and a you know brother and sisterhood of clerks, quite a, apart from party lines. My Republican clerks did a great job, mm. you know, and there was no the, the pride they take in their work. And then all the citizens who come in to, to you know to work like Beverly and Destiny. I mean, it's just something we should be immensely proud of, and no nobody, even a president of the United States, can take that away from our democracy. Yeah.
0: yeah. OK, Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township who represents Michigan's 9th district and will represent that district for two more years after the election Tuesday. It's always great to have you with us. Thanks very much for joining.
4: Oh, thanks, Stephen. Take care of yourself. Yeah, we'll talk with you soon. OK, bye-bye.
0: We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk with Politico chief political correspondent and Michigander Tim Alberta. He's going to join to react to the election and the response from Republicans and talk about what needs to be done going forward. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.
4: music,
3: culture, and community every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, Thanks very much for joining us. We're talking about the ongoing vote counting and decision making in election 2020. We are on day three. And according to the counts in some of the key states, Joe Biden is well on track now to be the 46th president of the United States. Of course, the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, says that is only happening because people are cheating, because they're inventing votes or quote-unquote finding votes that weren't cast by Tuesday's deadline in the states. He does not have any evidence to support that. And there there is no actual proof or suggestion, really, that there was any fraud. But this is the tactic that the president has chosen to make sure that he keeps power. We want to hear from you this hour. As well. How are you feeling about the things that the president said last night during his address from the press room in the White House? What do you think about the things he said about Michigan, the state of Michigan? What do you think about the things he is saying about cities like Detroit and Philadelphia and Atlanta, which are playing such a critical role in the Democratic turnout? In this election, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the show. I want to welcome another voice on this issue to the conversation as well. Tim Alberta is the chief political correspondent for Politico and author of American Carnage. He's also a native Michigander. Tim, welcome back
6: to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Today. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, always great to have you here. So you had some pretty strong words about the president's address on Twitter last night. From the perspective of someone who spent a lot of time talking with members of the GOP, tell me what you felt when you heard President Trump say the things he did last night.
6: Yeah, look, um, and the, the the perspective is not just from someone who spent a lot of time uh, covering the republican party it's you know someone who spent a lot of time with republican voters uh... and and i I think that's what's most disconcerting because when the president comes out and claims without any evidence that that the election system in this country is rigged that it's corrupt that we're living in a banana republic where you cannot trust the legitimacy of the ballot box when he says that it's one thing for Republican elected officials who uh, have their own uh, professional and political aspirations in mind to get out and enable him and accommodate him and, and uh, parrot that lie. Uh, that's bad enough. Uh, but, but most of them know that he's lying. And most of them are making a decision to go along with it because they have an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. But for millions and millions of people, Stephen, who are not familiar with how elections work in this country and who are listening to the leader of the free world uh, just deliberately and flagrantly undermine the institution of the American election system, they are i think in many cases persuaded by what the president is saying they believe him we have polling over the last couple of years to suggest that among republican affiliated voters there's been a thirty four percent decrease in the confidence in our elections and seventy million people just cast ballots for a man who is standing before the country telling them that they can't trust those elections Mm. And so, you know, this can seem sort of fuzzy and abstract and it gets lumped in with all of the president's other falsehoods and, and his other attacks on institutions throughout his presidency. But what we saw last night was something I feel that is particularly dangerous and that's going to have particularly long-term damaging effects. On this country and on its political processes, I don't think there's any putting this genie back in the bottle now.
0: So, so I think that's a real question that some people have about Trump supporters. Uh, do do a lot of them believe the things that he said? I I I feel like that that that's a real question because some of them it does seem like they're like, well, he talks and he blusters and. I don't pay a lot of attention to that. I just like the economic policies that he has, or I support his approach to immigration. You feel like there are a lot of people, though, who who hear this stuff and really do believe it.
6: I do. And, and I'll give you both the qualitative and the quantitative uh, reasons for it. Stephen, on, on the qualitative side, uh, I published a story the Friday before Election Day detailing um, my Journeys around the country over the last 12 months, and the dozens and dozens of conversations I've had with supporters of the president, and not just you know Joe voter on the street, but uh, election, uh, excuse me, uh, party officials, Republican party officials at the county level, at the local level, people who are uh, influential in their communities as far as organizing and 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 doing activist work uh, for the party, and I have been absolutely astonished. In this time, traveling all around the country and especially around the Midwest over the last year, at how many voters have taken to heart and believe fully what the president says about there having been millions of illegal votes cast in 2016, about this election being actively rigged against him by the deep state, uh, like you can't begin to fully appreciate it until you hear it for the hundredth time, the 150th time, the 200th time from voters people who are you know seem like normal and reasonable and very nice people in in, in every other respect and then you get to talking about elections and they say yeah I just don't believe it I don't believe it I do I refuse to believe that they are counting these ballots fairly I refuse to believe that the people in these elections offices who are republicans and democrats uh at the local level who certify and and, and count these ballots I refuse to believe that they're going to do it fairly. So, so that's the anecdotal. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, on the data side of it, again, Gallup put out polling three weeks ago that showed that in 2018, in their polling, Republicans were, I think about, it was 79%, I believe it was the number, about 80% of Republicans said that they were confident that our elections were fair and accurate. And the same pollster surveying the same people two years later found that that number was 44% among Republicans. Hmm. And and I just don't think that you can look at that and say, well, you know, correlation isn't causation. I think there's clearly causation here. When the president has spent the better part of his time in office repeatedly uh, attempting to delegitimize our system of elections, and, and even after winning the presidency, insisting, that there were millions of illegal votes cast and forming a commission on voter fraud to investigate it, which, of course, didn't find anything. Right. Um, I mean, this is this is this is a sustained ongoing effort, and it's going to be a huge part of his legacy.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313 1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Maryland in Oak Park. Maryland, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, Stephen. I'm going to try to be as quick as I can. Mm -hmm. Number one, is interference with the election process a crime? If so, why hasn't Donald Trump been charged? Mm -hmm. Is he above every law in this country? Number two, who is picking up the tab for all of Trump's frivolous lawsuits? If it's Trump and his campaign, they need to get the bill before they have a chance (laughs) to declare bankruptcy. (laughs) If the taxpayers are paying for his lies, then I give up on this whole mess. (laughs) Number three, I only saw a portion of Trump's uh, address last night. It's obvious that he's become more unhinged and therefore even more dangerous. Congress and the vice president better dust off their copies of the Constitution and look up the 25th Amendment. Now, Stephen, don't blow me off on this one. You did that four years ago.
0: On, On what? I'm sorry and
2: uh, the 25th amendment and oh. uh, having a psychiatric exam form I, I remember <laughs> that's how long I've been listening to you for a long time
0: <laughs> and I you say I blew you off on it I didn't yeah, I didn't you take did. it seriously
2: and, oh well we can't we can't have a second we can't do that we can, he's the president no and that's you have to go to so uh, yeah I do remember that
0: I, well I mean I think I I, well, I, I I actually don't remember that exchange but but I think the 25th amendment you know has has to be invoked by the people around the president it's not it's not a citizen activated uh, provision it's actually a cabinet activated provision and his cabinet is full of people who are blindly loyal to him or they get or they get fired i i guess i just don't see it as a as a likely outcome not that i think not that I think he doesn't probably meet the standards for that, uh, but but I do want to get Tim Alberta uh, to answer some of your specific questions, spe- specifically about the money and the lawsuits. I've I've seen this question in a lot of in a lot of places. Tim, explain how that works.
6: Well, look, the uh, the Trump campaign has some money in the bank, and they're going to get more of it for the for the president's legal defense fund because you now have an almost comical telethon-style campaign on Fox News to contribute to the President's Legal Defense Fund. Um, Last night on Sean Hannity's program, Senator Lindsey Graham came on and said that he was donating half a million dollars to the President's Legal Defense Fund and urged everybody watching to donate $5 themselves, that it was going to help uh, the president and his team, you know, fight back against, uh, this, this, you know, corrupt election process. Um, there have been just in the last 24 hours, uh, an offspring of various groups. Uh, attempting to raise money uh you know, purportedly for the purposes of helping the president with all of these lawsuits. Uh hashtag stop the steal it became a thing on social media yesterday and if you trace the origins of stop the steal it goes to some Facebook pages and to some websites and surprise, surprise, there is a donate button at the bottom of those websites and uh, if ever there were a a golden opportunity for people in the president's uh, uh, orbit to uh, sort of take advantage of of the grift uh, that is uh, sort of perpetually present around him, then this is one of them. You're probably going to see all sorts of you know sweet old grandmas who are watching Fox News you know fork over 25 or 50 bucks because they believe the president's getting railroaded. Will any of that money ever actually make its way? Into uh, paying for legal expenses, almost certainly not. Um, but the but the president and his team, I think it's important to emphasize, Stephen. They do not have some infrastructure of like world class lawyers around them right, right. now, right? Yeah. Like when you're seeing these press conferences in Nevada and, and uh, Georgia and Pennsylvania and elsewhere, like the people who are coming out there are mostly party hacks. It's 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 the president rolling out people like Corey Lewandowski and mm. Matt Schlapp. I mean, these are not lawyers. These are mm. not people who are who are going to be litigating anything. So th- it's important to understand this is a publicity campaign as much as a, much more than it is a legal about campaign the law at, at, at this point. Yeah,
0: certainly, in the court of claims here yesterday, I, I, I thought the president was not well represented uh, by the lawyer who, yes. who, who showed up and made arguments that had no evidence and, in some cases, no real basis even uh, in, the, in the law. Uh, Marilyn, again, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's quickly get to Deschard in Detroit. Deschard, I've got about a minute left, but wanted to get you in here.
4: Thank you. Uh, what I want to share quickly is that when we were in, in school, elementary, middle school, high school, we were taught when we write our essays, to make your points, but back it up with supporting details, or with evidence <laughs> and proof of your position that you're taking,
0: yeah,
4: and then when we got to college, of course, that was amplified when we had to do multiple page term papers, okay and so my point is that uh with all of the uh rhetorical allegations that are going out here now, there's no supporting details there's, there's no, no evidence. evidence that's being presented yeah. Yeah. Uh, There was an attorney, I believe on channel seven who took a video
1: of a red wagon.
0: Yeah, I say, yes, this this uh, unbelievable fantasy that was whipped up about this wagon that, that belonged to a f- photographer, and they made it sound like someone was stealing ballots. Uh, Deshard, I, you're absolutely right, and it's one of the kind of tragic aspects of this, is that this is pretty basic stuff, and people should know should know better. Okay, uh, Tim Alberta, it's always great to talk with you about this stuff. I love that you joined us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, On Monday, of course, we're going to talk a little more about the election, where I believe the vote counting will still be going on, and we may know a little more about the results. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.